You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, it's David Bloom here at Bloom in Tech. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. It's my birthday. Pretty happy to have made it this far in my life and to have survived as long as I have. Just got back from most of a month on the East Coast, seeing family and uh, hitting some conferences in New York. But now that I'm back in California, enjoying the sun, enjoying the warmth, it's been great. We're here on the eve of the election, the midterm election. I covered politics for many years, continue to keep an eye out on it. It's been a crazy time, as many people know. Woke up this morning on my birthday thinking about lots of stuff, as often happens in the early hours, particularly when one's getting used to both daylight savings time going away and moving back from East Coast to West Coast time. I'm not quite sure exactly when it is. It might be 2 in the afternoon. It might be 10 in the morning. It might be somewhere in between. That being said, I got to thinking about the impact that Donald Trump's had on the media. It's a fact that though this might drive many in my many of my colleagues in the media and even more of our readers and viewers crazy, were we to admit it, two years of Donald Trump as president's actually been very good for journalism. We've seen lots of amazing work, and even better for our company bottom lines, if not necessarily for the nation's future. Like Eric Campbell, the beetle-browed bete noir of Charlie Chaplin's early Little Tramp movies, Trump has been scowling at the media from his Twitter redoubt and perpetual campaign rallies, inveighing endlessly about fake news and failing news organizations. But in fact, ratings and revenues have been great for many of Trump's biggest targets, his polarizing language and aggressive courting of his conservative base helping clarify how people stand on many formerly complicated and nuanced issues. Throw in the special counsel investigation and a remarkable string of corrupt cabinet members. And there's been lots for journalists to dig into, and they've done a great job doing it. The results have been nothing but positive for many media organizations. Twitter itself, of course, has been one of the biggest beneficiaries of the age of Trump. The president's favorite digital megaphone has stacked up four straight quarters of profits, the first four in its 12 years of existence, despite killing off tens of millions of fake accounts used by foreign and other bad actors to manipulate public opinion. Not so good for the country, maybe, but great for Twitter's long-suffering investors who saw share prices jump 15.5% after the latest earning news last month. CNN, now part of the AT&T megalith, just reported $1.5 billion in profits on a mere $2.3 billion in revenue, despite Trump's repeated complaints about its coverage of his administration and repeated disparaging comments about its ratings. And while AT&T overall had relatively flat earnings this past quarter, its executives were already touting the bottom-line benefits of its acquisition of CNN and the rest of what's now called Warner Media. The New York Times just reported 4 million subscribers, most of them digital, and its most recent quarterly earnings. That's the most in NYT history, driven in part by the company's smart diversification. About 20% of this quarter's 200,000 new subscribers signed up for specialized products like its cooking and crossword services, but also by dogged journalism and an appeal to readers that made the case that good reporting doesn't come free. That the Times and the rest of the newspaper industry should have been making that pay-to-play pitch 20 years ago instead of meathead strategies that gave it away online is beside the point. Better almost too late than never at all. 
Now the Times and other publications are not only seeking subscription revenue, but lots of other ways to make money around their notable journalism, as their value proposition to highly engaged readers becomes more and more clear in the Trump era. Election season's been a big boon to local broadcasters, too. Boosting ad revenues for the year, though it's very important to note that 2019, without that cyclical boost, will likely be not very fun. National TV ad revenues, meanwhile, have held steady at about $45.5 billion. National TV ad revenues, meanwhile, have held steady at about $45.5 billion, despite continuing viewership erosion in the cord-cutting era, according to new figures from Standard Media Index. It's worth noting that Magna, the big media buying company, has a gloomier TV ad forecast despite a record overall year for advertising revenues. But that being said, that they're holding more or less firm is, I think, somewhat remarkable. And while Trump's tax cuts may have overwhelmingly benefited the wealthy, they also may have made it more likely that well-meaning and now increasingly well-heeled billionaires could afford to snap up notable, if vulnerable, media outlets and boost their budgets. We've seen a spate of these maneuvers since Jeff Bezos showed the way back in 2013 when he bought the Washington Post for $250 million. Since then, the world's richest man has invested heavily both in the newsroom product for more reporters and editors and behind the scenes, calling in his Amazon tech ninjas to make over the paper's digital infrastructure and e-commerce capabilities. In 2017, the privately held company revealed to staff that its digital subscriptions had passed the one million mark, tripled their level from before Trump. More recently, a spate of other billionaires have bought into the media business too. Salesforce founder Mark Benioff and his wife Lynn grabbed time. Steve Jobs' widow, Lorraine Powell Jobs, bought The Atlantic. Biomedical billionaire Patrick Soon Shong acquired the Los Angeles Times and San Diego Union Tribune. And Junior Bridgman, a former NBA star turned fast food mogul, appears headed to buy Sports Illustrated. Bridgman beat out a Joshua Pollock-led consortium that includes two billionaire NBA team owners, Quicken.com chairman Dan Gilbert and Hollywood mogul Peter Goober and motivational speaker Tony Robbins. Now, that consortium has its sights set on former time corporate siblings Fortune and Money, both for sale as Meredith trims back some of the less desired components of his Time Inc. acquisition. And though Trump may have politicized the U.S. Department of Justice over the special counsel investigation, his DOJ did sue to block the $85 billion AT&T acquisition of Time Warner. For those hoping to preserve some semblance of media diversity, the federal antitrust lawsuit was seen as a noble, if failed, effort. Indeed, in the months since the federal judge approved the deal, AT&T has shuttered a string of quirky, smaller Warner Media units, including Super Deluxe, Drama Fever, and Filmstruck. Trump's FCC appointees also repealed that commission's problematic, if well-intentioned, net neutrality provisions. How that plays out also may mean trouble in the long run for online media diversity. But for now, I'm guessing slow connection speeds are a much lesser challenge to the survival of small online streamers than boundless competition, fractured audiences, dwindling investment capital, high back-end costs, and uncertain revenue models. That same FCC even effectively blocked the would-be acquisition of Tribune Media by Trump's favorite chain of TV stations, Sinclair Broadcast Group. Sinclair, already the nation's largest station group, would have gone from reaching about half the nation's population to covering nearly three-quarters of it. Now, Sinclair will focus on its news-on cooperative agreement with other stations and the rollout of STIR, an ad-supported online video initiative featuring local news, sports, and other content. 
Sinclair CEO and President Christopher Ripley surprised his own staff by talking publicly about STIR at last month's NABNY conference, but the project promises to create yet another conservative news outlet from an accountable public company. All the good news about the news business isn't shared uniformly across the industry, of course, any more than Trump's tax cuts have been shared uniformly across the country. Glenn Beck's The Blaze restructured after failing to attract the audiences he once had on Fox News, and conspiracy crank Alex Jones and his Infowars site have been dislodged from most, if not all, his media purchases after a series of bridge-too-far comments. Steve Bannon got booted from Breitbart, which he co-founded, and these days he apparently can't even fill a room at a county GOP fundraiser in Florida. On the distaff side of the political dial, left-leaning online pioneer The Young Turks dumped some of its longtime on-air hosts and other employees, and ended several entertainment-focused shows. And aggressive newcomers BuzzFeed, Vice, and Vox Media have all had to sheet their sales in recent months with closures and layoffs as they pivot in new directions. A recent analysis of job openings at the Big Three showed significant recent declines in hiring at the mall. So the benefits have been unevenly distributed. But hey, the president still expects to get a heartfelt thank you from the grateful media for all he's done to make them what they are today. For that, he's been anything but a fail. So that's my little pre-election, I don't think I'll call it a rant, my little pre-election pondering, and uh, I hope you find it of interest. I'll be back very soon with more here on Bloom and Tech. This is David Bloom, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.